Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, there are times when I'm reading the Bible, and I don't know if this happens to you, but there's times when I'm reading the Bible and all of a sudden, it's like there's a phrase of Scripture that just... It's like God highlights it and puts neon lights around it and just causes my attention to be focused on it. And then sometimes when he does that, it's not always like a promise of God. Sometimes it's like they're not just neon lights, they're warning lights. They're like watch out lights. And today I'm going to share with you a portion of scripture that for me is kind of like a warning light. It, It was when I read the scripture, I began to immediately pray God, don't let that ever be true of me. Don't let this statement that's found in your word ever be true of my life. And then I begin to pray a little bit farther. Lord, don't let this statement ever be true of the assembly church in Cabot, Arkansas. Don't let anyone ever say that we are guilty of this, of this scripture. And then I prayed even farther. I said, Lord, don't let this be true of our community or our nation. At this point, you may be wondering, what in the world did I read? Well, the title of the message today uh, has, it's straight from Scripture, there's a phrase in Romans chapter 1 that says that people knew God, but they did not worship Him. How many understand there's a difference between knowing about God and worshiping Him? I want to say that again. There's a difference between knowing about God and worshiping Him. You know, we live in a place where we know about God. I mean, if you have a dollar bill in your pocket, you know, I could take a dollar bill out of my pocket this morning and look at it, and on that dollar bill, or if you have a coin, you could see the phrase, in what? In God we trust. In 1954, Congress actually added the phrase, under God, into our National Pledge of Allegiance, because they wanted us to always remember that as a nation, our success is dependent upon the grace of God. I believe it was Ronald Reagan that said that any nation that is not under God will soon be a nation that has gone under. There's a difference between being a, being a person who knows about God and being a worshiper of God. And, and, and most of our courthouses up until, um, until just years ago, about 2005 I believe it was, used to at any courthouse in America you could go and find the Ten Commandments. Now those same documents are many times outlawed and considered offensive. I'm just saying this morning, we need a recognition. I constantly need to realize, recognize, be aware that just knowing about God is not the same as worshiping Him. So Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, this might be tough. Romans chapter 1 may be, may be one of the toughest chapters in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's people that, there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, well, that's not really in the Bible. And it's because they've never read Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter, the book of Romans is beautiful because it's Paul's version of the gospel. 
But he also, how many understand that sometimes in order to understand how good something may be, you have to understand how bad something may be. So God kind of, or, or Paul uses Rome, Romans 1 to kind of tell us some of the, some of the shortfallings of humanity so that we will celebrate the goodness of God. And so understand some of this is going to be tough, but uh, let's read it together. Now that I got your appetite wet for it, let's read it. Uh, follow along with me. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew Him, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. Verse 21 is that phrase that really haunted me in my times of prayer. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God is like. Let me take a time out. Have you ever been in a conversation where someone said, well, I think God is like blank. I've been there. Well, I think God is like your grandfather. He shows up a few times a year and he gives you Christmas. Or I think God is like, you know, some Greek myth theology that's just, you know, got a lightning bolt ready to strike you. Can I tell you, it is not our, it is not our job to fashion God in our image. It is our God, it's our job to continually allow the Lord to fashion us in His image, right? But they knew Him and they wouldn't give Him thanks. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, their minds became dark and confused. I'm sorry, I reread part of that. Uh, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and reptiles. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their heart desired. What a scary scripture. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with their own bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful deeds. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. The men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Father, we love you, and we want our lives to bring honor and be lives of worship to you. We've just read, Lord, when we turn our lives from being worshipers of you, our naturally our lives naturally gravitate towards things we would never want our lives to gravitate to, but Lord, we see it happening. We see it happening to culture. We see it happening to people we love, and we just pray, God, Lord, we commit ourselves to worshiping you. I pray that today none of us would settle for knowing about you. 
but we would always contend, fight for, and prioritize knowing you and worshiping you. Knowing you and making you known. Anoint me above my own ability to speak the words of God. The words of God alone anoint our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Spirit of God would say. Everybody in the room said amen. amen. So worship of God and knowing about God. Two different things. Knowing about God and worshiping God are two different things. But can I tell you, those two things should be complementary and not substitutes. When I, uh, when I first met Megan, we just celebrated our 23rd anniversary, by the way, yesterday. Uh, so about 27 years ago, or whenever it was, in, in, in uh, August of 1997. How about I just cut to the chase? In August of 1997, Megan was, uh, was a student at SAU, so was I. Uh, she needed help moving from one dorm room to the other. Uh, by this time, I was somewhat interested in her, um, and so I was, I was, as I was moving her, I began to snoop. <laughs> Back in those days, we didn't have iTunes. We had boxes where you slid open with drawers and you kept your CDs in there. A few of you older people are shaking their heads this way. Yeah, you got what I'm, you, you're picking up what I'm putting down. So I slid out those, those CD drawers to see exactly what kind of music she listened to because I thought if I ever get her to go out with me, I'll know to have that kind of music on the, uh, on the radio or in my CD player. I began to study what kind of food she liked because if I'm going to take her out, I'll want to know to take her to the place that serves that kind of food. I began to study her and, and figure out what gets on her nerves so I'll make sure I don't do those things. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> but my study of her was because I was trying to enhance a relationship with her, right? I wasn't learning about her because I had no intention of a relationship with her. Sometimes we feel like, well, well I've either got to study about the Lord or I've got to invest in relational time with the Lord. But actually, the more we, the more we personally relate with Him, the more hunger we should have for His Word. And the more we dive into the knowledge side, the Word of God, the more that should fuel our hunger for Him. They are not substitutes to one another, but they are complementary. They feed on one another. If you were to put that in a personal relationship about a person who only studies about a person but never really goes the next step to meet a person, you might call that stalking. We have laws against that. God has not called you to be a God stalker. He's called us to know Him. To know Him. But people were settling for just knowing about Him without knowing Him. Knowing about Him without worshiping Him. So how can I make sure this statement is never true of me? The first step is to simply realize there is a difference between knowing God and worship Him. Verse number 21 says, Though they knew Him, they never glorified Him. They never gave thanks to Him. They never realized who He was. Worship, does not worship that doesn't recognize as God as the source, as God as the authority, as God as the creator, worship that does not recognize that He's in charge and not me, really is not worship at all. Knowing someone exists is different from worshiping someone, right? 
James says, you believe in God? Good. Even the demons do that and tremble. James was saying there's a difference between knowing God and believing in God than worshiping Him. Worship, by definition, is simply a high regard, but it's also this. It's to have a high level of devotion towards someone. It doesn't matter how extravagant our outward expression is when the music is playing, if our hearts are not deeply devoted to Him. Amen. Worship is not, I hope you're not misunderstanding this morning, worship I am not speaking about when the worship team comes to the platform and the music begins. If you're, if, if you're, if I'm communicating that today, please apologize because what I'm talking about today, when I'm talking about knowing God and not worshiping Him, has nothing to do with music, has nothing to do with songs, has nothing to do with instruments, but I, what it does mean is here's the definition of worship in him we live we move we breathe and we have his being because all of our life is worship unto God or it should be amen or it should be so worship is a result of knowing that he is God and embracing his love and his gratitude towards him in Luke chapter 7 there's a an occasion where Jesus is dining in someone's home, and a lady came to him, and she began to wash his feet with oil, use her hair to do so, and people in the room were watching this happen, and someone, they were just, no one said it, they were just thinking it. You know, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know what a sinful person this lady was, and and he would not allow her to touch him like that, to, to even be close to him. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, listen, do you see this woman? He said, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he but he who has been forgiven loves little. But he who's been forgiven much loves much. Part of worshiping him is realizing just how much Jesus has forgiven us. How many understand that Jesus has forgiven you much? When I was, when I was, when I was a teenager, we used to have people come to our church from time to time and they would tell their stories. And they would tell these stories about how they had lived this life that was so horrendous, had done disastrous things to themselves and, and to others. And then they would tell how they hit bottom and how God redeemed them and how God has now used them. And I would sit there and, you know, hearing these stories, for me, it was almost educational because I didn't know that kind of sin existed until I came to church. But, but you know, I, they would tell their story and I put my chin back up where it's supposed to go. And, and I would kind of, I would hear this story, this passage, and I would think, well, Lord, I have no chance because I have not sinned as big as they sinned. I didn't understood that my sense of pious religion is just as deadly 
of those other sins that seem so horrible. It wasn't until I realized that I needed a Savior to cleanse me, not just from what I've done, but, but my attitude. I was kind of the older brother in the prodigal story, son. I needed an attitude cleansing. I needed a heart change in me until, real, until finally I realized it took as much a grace of God to save me as it did to save any the most vilest, worst sinner I'd ever seen. The same amount of grace was required for me. So we have to realize there's a difference between knowing about God and worshiping Him. And that worship starts to realize we, the moment we realize what a great need we have for Him. Number two, to move from knowing about God to worshiping Him. We have to realize that what we worship shapes our life. 21, it says, Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Did you know that you were created to worship God? There's a lot of talk nowadays. I understand there's confusing times. Sometimes we wonder, what, why did God make me? What's my purpose in life? Why did, he create, why did He form me this particular way? I don't know all the answers for everybody, but I do know this answer. You were created to worship God. And whatever strength or weakness you have, when you decide that I'm going to worship God in my strengths and in my weaknesses, in that moment, you are, you are surrendering to God. You are producing a worship unto Him that is unique to your life only, that can only come from Him. Your worship is precious to God. But it's not just precious to Him. It, it changes you. Sometimes when we think of idol worship, we think of people like this scripture describes. We think of people taking stone and wood and make it into the form of people or animals and bowing down to that seven times a day. Or we think of people, idolatry, we think of people worshiping evil spirits and that sort of thing. But can I tell you, idolatry isn't the worship of something evil. It's just the worship of something else. It can be a perfectly fine thing in the wrong place. But worship of God, it molds us into our image. I just found my note that says, don't forget something, and I forgot it. (laughs) I meant to bring with you my kids. I went to bring with me to show you. My kids have a wonderful Play-Doh collection. It's pretty impressive. It's a whole basket of stuff. Play-Doh, different colors. Well, they used to be different colors. Now a lot of them are just kind of that, that brown, purpley color they all kind of become when you mush them all together. But, but they also have these, these molds. And, you know, my kids are girls. And so we've got, these, we've got these Barbie dolls or princesses. I'm not sure what they are. But, but, but you, have you seen these? They've they got like these big dresses on them. And my girls can take their Play-Doh and mush it together. And then they, they mold it to that form of that princess. And then you can take it off of the mold and you can put it around a Barbie or what, what you have. And now all of a sudden that clay is in the shape of that dress because they, they mold it. They pressed on it. And the, and the shape of what it was molded into, put into, now it owns that shape from now on. Can I tell you, that's what worship of God does. It begins to shape our lives, mold our lives into something different from us. Praise to God. It 
doesn't shape me to be more like Greg. It shapes me to be more like Jesus. And friends, can I tell you today, your life can be totally transformed into the image of Jesus when you decide I'm not just going to know about him, but I'm going to worship him with all of my life. All of my life. And our lives, my life, let me, talk, let me not talk about you, let me talk about me. My life in the last seven days has been shaped into something. See, we're being more shaped into Jesus or it's being more shaped into something else. That's why Psalms 115, verse number 8 says that those who make them, speaking about idols, will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. See, where we put our worship and our trust and our faith molds us, presses us into the image of that thing that we're worshiping in or that we're trusting in. That's why I believe it's so important when life gets unstable that you respond to the trouble and the unstableness of your life not by by running to people or running to your past, but you have to say boldly, though some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, as for me, I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord my God because as I trust into Him, He shapes me and forms me and designs me for the specific season that He's put me in. Worship changes us. The focus of my life is shaping me into the image of what I'm worshiping. So I got to make sure that the focus of my life is on the Lord. Number three, how do I make sure I'm growing in my worship of the Lord and not just growing in my things about knowing about Him? I have to remember that there is no excuse for not worshiping Him. I'm not sure if that's bad grammar or not. I was surprised that Megan let that statement stand. There's two negatives in there. But there is no excuse for not worshiping the Lord. Listen to this scripture. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. I remember the first time I was a teenager, the first time I ever went west of Dallas. First time we ever went snow skiing. I remember waking up in Colorado and seeing the majesty of those mountains, thinking, how could there not be a God that did all this? I remember as a youth pastor, I had a guy come with us on a youth trip to the beach. He was about 26 years old, and that was the first time he had ever seen the ocean as a 26-year-old man, and he walked up there, and he sat down on the beach, and he looked into the vastness of that never-ending ocean, and I said, what's up, buddy? He said, how can you look at this and not see that there's a God who's bigger than all of us? That's what this scripture is talking about, that, that nature itself declares there is a God. So many times we think of people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus. And we believe they've never had a chance to come to God or any, any witness that God exists. But that's really not the reality. Men are not born into a world devoid of a witness. 
They are born into a world that declares there is a God. There is, there, there is a grand design to all we see. Now, does that get you and I off the hook when it comes to our witness? No. You and I have been called to be those secondary witnesses by taking the gospel to places that, as far as we know, has never been before. But that should also bring a little, bit of, a little bit of comfort when we're sharing the gospel in a place that we feel like has never been shared before because we have to understand that when we talk about God, we are not delivering them a message or, or a person they've never thought about before. We're delivering unto them the name of the reality that they've been faced with since they were born. I like what one scholar said. He said, men cannot charge God with hiding himself from them and thus excuse their irreligion and their immorality. Chuck Smith says it like this, God speaks to man in the universal language of nature so that by nature I am aware that God does exist. A fool has said in his heart there is no God, is what the word says. The invisible things of him are revealed in nature because that when they knew God, they were without excuse because God is revealed. Another scholar said this, heaven and earth and all creatures, herbs and grass, rain, drought, fruitful and barren years, milk, uh, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all these things declare God, that there is not an atom of the universe in which God's power and divinity are not revealed. R.C. Sproul said it like this, no one will be able to approach the judgment seat of God justly pleading, if I had only known God existed, I would have surely served him. That excuse is annihilated. No one can lightly claim, can rightly claim insufficient evidence for not believing in God. My last quote I'll give you, Sam Storms, says, idolatry and non-Christian religions are not signs that men are searching for truth, but evidence that they don't want it. What's, this, what's Paul saying to these folks in Romans? He, he's saying that the problem is not that there is no evidence of God. The problem is that for many, many people, they just rather ignore the evidence. But for us, Psalms 113 says it like this. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he's worthy of my praise. Any excuse I have for not worshiping God, and I understand there's a lot of them. I've heard them. I've tried to give them. Busyness, apathy, disappointment in people, hurt by organizations, pain, all these are just temporary sentiments. But God is still worthy to be worshiped. Number four, how do I make sure I'm moving not from just knowing about God, but from knowing Him, worshiping Him? Is that to remember that worship is about pleasing God, not just pleasing myself. Worship demands I do things my way and not God's way. Look at verse number 24. It says, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. When people resisted worshiping God long enough, God gave them over to their own desires. Not about you, but when I read this scripture, it scares me personally. That God would turn someone over to do what they wanted to do. But it also reveals a truth to me that if you don't, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this today. 
Because the Lord's been reminding me personally that just because He's allowing something to exist in my life doesn't mean He approves of it in my life. Just because He's allowing me to harbor bitterness and, the, this, and a bad attitude, and even though He may be blessing my ministry despite what I'm harboring, can I tell you today, just because He's allowing that does not mean that He's approving that thing that I'm keeping from Him. And it scares me that if we are not active and submitting our lives to Christ, that He actually gave people over to do what they wanted to do. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking this morning, Pastor, why, if God is so good, why would He ever give people over to their own desires when He knows that their own desires are going to bring destruction? Do you remember the story in Luke 15 about that father who had two sons? And that one son said what? Dad, give it here. Right? Just give it here. Give me, give me what I want. I've got a plan that doesn't involve you. I've got a plan that doesn't involve this place. I've got it figured out. I've got people to see, things to do. Give me what i got coming. Did you notice the Bible doesn't say the father tried to talk him out of it? What did he do? He gave him what he wanted. He gave him what he asked for. And you know the rest of the story. The son went out. He didn't just blow it all. He, he blew it all and he found himself devastated, alone, broken, having to live a life that was disgusting to himself. In the middle of his disgust, he had this thought. He said, you know what, not even, not even the servants in my father's house are treated this bad. I'm going to go to my father and tell them, Dad, I know I've blown it. I know I'm no longer worthy to be a called a son, but would you just let me come to your house and be a servant? Because even a servant lives better than what I'm living. And you know the story. He went back home when he was a far way away. The father saw him, ran to him, gave him a new cloth, a new ring, said the son of mine has been dead. Now he's alive. Why would our Heavenly Father ever say, listen, if you keep asking to do what you want to do, if you keep demanding your own way, I'm going to let you have your way. Why? Because there's some of us that our hearts get so stubborn, it takes a pig pen to awaken us from our destruction. Amen? God does not turn us over because He doesn't love us. He turns us over because we, He does love us. And I've been in the pig pen just long enough to know this. I do not want a, a return ticket. Anybody else? Say, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, don't want to go back. Right? So i got to make sure that my life is not about me demanding my way. Because see, worship, I told you it's not about music. Worship is about us saying, God, you have your way. Have your way on Monday, have your way on Tuesday. Have your way when people make me mad and have your way when people make me happy. Help have your way when I'm successful, have your way when I'm a failure. I want to commit my way to Him. And I must humbly ask Him to awaken me the moments my will is active against His will. Number five this morning, 
Megan, if you want to come. The last thing about our worship and why we must be focused in on not just knowing about God, but truly living a life of worship towards Him, is that our worship, in verse number 32, it speaks to those around us. Verse 32 describes sort of a slippery slope about what we worship. Most people don't just go from worshiping God to worshiping nothing because we're all going to worship something. So people go from worshiping God to worshiping something else. But then the second step, the second thing we do is that we're not satisfied worshiping something else because we see other people worshiping what we used to worship and we feel conviction that we're not worshiping what we used to worship because we know their true joy is not found in what we're worshiping now and we ought to go back, but our pride is too big to let us go back. And so then we start inviting other people to say, hey, listen, I know I used to do that, but now I'm doing this. Why don't you come worship this with me? Because we think if I can get enough people worshiping what I'm worshiping, then I'll feel better about it. Instead, it just leads us to more emptiness. But there's a principle at work here, and here's the principle, for better or worse, my worship is encouraging. It's encouraging other people to worship what I worship. So i got to make sure that what I'm worshiping is what is Jesus. It's who I want others to worship. I mentioned earlier in this service, the two weren't really tied in my mind, but I've really been praying with some people lately about loved ones who are away from the Lord. And I have been, I've been wrestling, kind of praying, God, how can I, what can I do to make sure the people I care about never stray from you? There's not really an answer for that because how many know we all have our own decision to make? But I do believe the best way that I can point people towards Jesus is by making sure I'm worshiping Jesus. I can't, I can't be the do what I say and not what I do person. I have to do what I say. I'm worshiping Jesus. I have to worship Him. And as people see me worship Jesus, that's the, that's the best arrow any of us can have to point others towards Jesus. I'm praying that the scripture said, though they knew God, they didn't worship Him. I'm praying when people point their finger at you or me or our church, they would have to say the opposite. They knew God and they worshiped Him. That's my prayer for us this morning, is that we know God and we worship Him. I'm praying when my kids tell my grandkids about me, they say, you know, Papa Greg, I know I'm not old enough to be that yet, but someday I will be. Papa Greg, he knew the Lord and he worshiped him. You know, those people down at the assembly, sometimes they're kind of weird, but they know God and they worshiped him. They worship him. I'm okay if that's our reputation across Cabot. That those people at this moment, they know God and they worship Him. Is that your story this morning? Would you bow your heads with me all across this room? I'm not asking, do you know God? Do you not 
not asking if you know about Him. That is a wonderful start. That knowledge about God should pave the road to better relationship with Him. But we know Him and we worship Him. And it's so important. I'm not, I hope you understand, I'm not elevating relational knowledge over biblical knowledge because, friends, it's just as, it's just as bad to go the other way. If all you have is just this, uh, I just, I'm just going to pray and sing and commune, but I'm not going to ground myself in the Word, then you'll start shaping God into your image. Instead, It takes both. It's the Word and the Spirit. It's both. They knew God, but they didn't worship Him. Father, we want to know You, and we want to live lives of worship unto You. If you're in the room this morning, say, Pastor, maybe you know a little bit about God. Maybe you know a lot about God. Maybe you know nothing about God. But you know you're not living a life of worship unto Him. You know you're not committed to Him. You're not devoted to Him. Worship, the key word about worship is devotion. You know, despite what I know or don't know, I know this. I'm not devoted to Him like I need to be. And the Spirit of God is making that revelation known to you today. Not this this preacher. You know. You know the Spirit of God is talking to you. Listen, stop settling for knowing about Him. Come to worship Him. Surrender your life to Him. Devote your life to Him. That's the definition of worship. Devote your life to Him. You need to do that today. Say, Pastor, I need to devote my life to Jesus. I need to come to worship Him with my life. I need Him to to make me new, make me clean, make me a new person. That's you today. Would you just lift a hand real quick? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Amen. I need to go from knowing about Him to knowing Him. Amen. 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 Let me pray for those who lifted their hand real quick. And I want to pray for all of us. But Father, I'm thankful their word says in 1 John that if we will confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, I'm thankful when you called those first disciples to be with you. You didn't just say, come and learn about me, but you said, come and follow me. Come be with me. Lord, you wanted them to know you relationally. They, they wanted, Lord, they wanted, sure, you want to know them scripturally, but also, Lord, relationally. You wanted to, to be with them. Lord, people have raised their hands this morning. I said, I want, to, I want to be with Jesus. God, I pray today, Lord, as they are confessing those things that you're revealing to them about what their mistakes have been, their past has been, Lord, they're confessing their need for you. Lord, I pray you will cleanse them today. I'm thankful there's nothing so bad, nothing too dark that you cannot forgive and cleanse and restore and renew. God, I pray you'll do that in their lives. And from this moment forward, they would choose to follow Jesus. They choose to learn about you, but more than that, commune with you. Know you and worship you daily. It's our prayer for them. Do it today in Jesus' name. I want to ask you to look at me real quick this morning before we extend a blessing over you and let you go. The question, this message kind of came down to me personally. This is where I kind of landed on it this past week. I mentioned it in passing a few moments ago. Was to examine my last seven days. So from last Sunday to this Sunday. Is, is my life being 
pushed, formed, pressed more into the image of Jesus? Or has my life, my attitude, my thoughts been more pressed into someone else, something else? If it's pressing me into the image of something other than Jesus, then I have to realize that at least in some area of my life, I've begun to allow worship of something else to override my worship of Him. And so today, I just want to challenge you to kind of use that question and then respond personally to it in your moments of prayer. So Father, I pray over the people today. I'm thankful for Your Word that never returns void but always produces a harvest of righteousness. Father, we do not want to be guilty of knowing about You and not worshiping You. We want to be found guilty of knowing you, making you known, and worshiping you with all of our hearts and all of our life, all of our soul. God, I pray today this people will constantly, continually be people that know you and worship you. That we do it, we do it with our mouth, we do it with our heart, we do it with our day in and our day out, that all of our lives, our lives live before you. Let generations say that they knew you. These people knew you and they worshiped you. And that they're following Jesus today because they saw us worshiping you. God, I pray a blessing over the people today. Lord, I pray you'll bless them, keep them, let your face shine upon them, give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.